Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible time. Father, we get a chance to study your word. Uh, We thank you that we get a chance to not only be Christians, but we get a chance to really practice being Christians, Father, that we can learn how to help people become disciples in an effective way. And I pray, Father, that we leave this course solidified, unified, so that we can truly multiply and change the world. Be with us in a radical way. Thank you so much for Jen Watkins for being just an incredible uh, assistant there. And I pray that we can really help the disciples to have an effectiveness in their teaching uh, so that they truly, truly, truly can go out and make as many disciples as possible. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to our first principles course, uh, 2020 right there. And uh, I'm so glad that you've uh, zoomed on in. And uh, that the fact that you've zoomed on in tells me that God can overcome any challenge. And I'm excited that we have arguably our largest number of participants for our first principles class. Uh, now, before we dig on in, I want to highlight, first of all, that uh, Jen Watkins is going to be my teacher's uh, teaching assistant. She's online today. So if you do not have a copy of the first principles booklet that the church has produced, she can send an electronic copy to you so you can go over it uh, later on this evening or this afternoon. Uh, the booklet has not only the scriptures that we'll be going through, but it also has the course information. I'm going to go over that quickly, give some practicals, and then we're going to dig right into our first study, which is seeking God. Now, uh, you'll see on the first page, of course, it talks about the course information. Uh, And uh, I'll just read the first bullet points. This course should take a high priority in your day as it's geared to help you grasp a firmer hold, not only of God's word, but the deeper your understanding in his life, in your life, rather. It says each session There are two scriptures to be memorized or written or uh, written or verbal quiz at the beginning of each class. Now, what we'll do for this, most likely each one of the memory scriptures will be on the the quiz. And yes, we will have quiz. Yes, we will have tests. So I'm I'm, uh, praying that you're fired up about that. Uh, Number three, each study's content and order of scriptures should also be memorized for the quiz. Uh, Number four, each student is required to memorize the names of all the books of the Bibles that could show up on a quiz. Number five, sign up for the good news email, which most of you are signed up for it. But uh, if you're not, please message Jen Watkins. She can give you the details or talk to your region leader. They can tell you how to sign up for the good news email. Number six, read Ron Harding's history of the spread of Christianity in modern times. You can go on kipmckeen.com and read that website. That has the information. We won't really have many tests there, but we may have some, dare we say, extra credit uh, points that come from that source. Number seven, uh, an outline of the book of Acts will be turned in uh, by the last session. It says session 11 here. Uh, We may or may not do that for this particular class. Uh, You'll see it has the outline of the classes, all the studies from the word all the way to our sessions on the book of Acts. Uh, It has the suggested reading list which is the five love languages, which is really good. You need to know the person you're study, uh, studying with. You need to know their love language. You also need to know their hate language. <laughs> it's kind of a little merry thing I always weave in there. There are certain things that people just hate. You don't want to try to get that out of them, but you want to know those things that bother them and block them from saying the word of God. Uh, you want to know, uh, you want to read the master plan of evangelism. Great book. Tale of Three Kings, Voice in the Wind, and The Disciplined Life, which is a very, very, very powerful book. Uh, read all those books. Uh, because those books are going to help you in your knowledge of God. Now, you may not have, we may not have quizzes on that particular part of the information. Most of the quizzes are going to come literally from the test. So please talk to your region leader to get those books, get all that information so you can really solidify your faith. You'll see the next session uh, talks about scripture memory. Once again, that'll usually uh, come in the form of a quiz or a test uh, where we'll ask you, what does Jeremiah 29, 11 say? What does Matthew 6, 33 say? And then those will be test questions, but there's one for each session. Now we get to the intro uh, to the course. And if you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter six, Hebrews chapter six, the Bible says this here. We'll pick it up actually in verse 14 of chapter five. It says, but solid food is for the campus students. That's probably, you probably could say that right there, (laughs) but it doesn't say that. It says solid food is for the mature. who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He says, 
there's one principle. And, and as we dig on in, starting from this point forward, you want to make sure to take copious notes because even the commentary that you hear me sharing will can often wind up in a quiz or a test because we need to really be unified. But he says, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The world teaches you that maturity has to do with age. The Bible teaches you that maturity has to do with knowing the first principles, practicing them, and allowing that to be the standard by which you determine good from evil. So in the eyes of God, you can age in the Lord, but be immature. In the eyes of God, you can be young in the Lord, but be mature. What is the qualifier? The qualifier is knowing the first principles, practicing the first principles so you know good from evil, and then leaving the first principles to go on to maturity. It says in chapter six, verse one, therefore, therefore, see, you've done it already. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings, or as the American Standard Version says, uh, let us leave the first principles, as the English version also says, let us leave the first principles about Christ and go on to maturity. And then it goes through all the different studies, not laying on the foundation of repentance, acts that lead from death, faith in God, instruction about baptisms. You see that's plural because there are more than one baptism. Uh, laying on of hands, that's the miraculous gift study we do. Resurrection of the dead, right there, the cross, and eternal judgment, God permitting, we will do so. And we stop right there. So we see that the purpose of this course is for you guys to go on to maturity. For you to come out of this course being able to teach someone from the beginning all the way to the end and make a disciple. And let me say something. You are going to be more equipped after this course than 97% of the individuals in all of Europe that claim to be evangelists and preachers. So this solidifies the church. It unifies the church and it helps us to multiply. So we got to say an acronym. We got, we got to kind of say that together. I want you to say solidify. Okay, I'm at the brother's household filming this, and they said it really lukewarmly. So let's try that again. Okay. Solidify. Solidify. Unify. Unify. Multiply. Solidify. Solidify. Unify. Multiply. That's my church right there. We want to solidify our convictions so that we can be unified so that we can multiply. You know, the Bible says in John 13... Verse 34, Jesus has washed their feet and cleansed them. And then he says in chapter 34 of chapter or verse 34, of chapter 13, it says a new command. I give you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the church said, Amen. is this not awesome? First principles is one of the arguments for how we practice loving one another, because we really teach how to love one another. In Colossians chapter three, verse 14, the Bible says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together, unifies us together. Love unifies us. And then we know in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, the Bible says, go and make disciples. Now, what's powerful about Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, is that it says, when he called them to go to the mountain, they worshiped him, but some doubt it. You even may be one of the disciples that doubt today. But what erased the doubt of the first century disciples? The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. What erased their doubt? It was the authority of the word of God. See, what erases doubt is not necessarily apologetics. It's that the disciples allowed the authority of the word of God to erase doubt in their mind. They made disciples, they multiplied, they changed the nations. Are you with me right there? So it's awesome to know that the word of God is gonna, it's, 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 it's gonna get rid of your doubts so that you know that since you've become, you've become a disciple, now, now, now you've got the Bible to erase every doubt and erase the doubts of those who are out there. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to help you to understand that as we go through these studies, we are sold out disciples. And as we go through, we need to understand some things that as we practice being disciples and learning how to be disciples, 
we got to know that this is a very important course because in Matthew 28, just to reference that back once more time, the Bible says, go and make disciples. Let me make it very clear for those of you. God does not make disciples. He saves them. <laughs> he doesn't make disciples. You have churches that teach God makes disciples. He does not make disciples. Disciples make disciples. We see that in Matthew chapter 28. He says, you go and make disciples. Jesus says, I'm hitting up to heaven. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I've left you on this earth for a purpose. Otherwise, why leave us? <laughs> to coin our young prophet in Kiev, why are we here? <laughs> We're here to make disciples. God does not make disciples. You need to be able to even teach individuals that you study with. If you're here for the first time, God does not make disciples. Disciples make disciple. God only saves them. So God doesn't make disciples. Disciples make disciples. God only saves them. Now, when you make a disciple, making a disciple is like making a cup of tea. When I got to London, I learned that there were kind of, really there were two types of tea that you had. You either had a strong cup of tea or you had, uh, you know, a weak cup of tea. It's the same thing for making disciples. You either make a strong disciple or you make a weak disciple. Depending on how solidified, how unified you are on the scriptures and how you are living a life of multiplication. I think about the, the first time I had a specialized rice here, it was called, and it's still called, jell rice. There were two types of jell rice I had. It was either really hot jell rice or it was mushy jell rice. <laughs> I didn't really like the mushy jell rice. You could be a mushy jell rice liker. But it's the same thing when it comes to making disciples. You either make a hot disciple. See, you can't make a cold disciple because if you're cold, you're not a disciple. You either make a hot disciple or a mushy disciple. A disciple that you can mush all around and that conforms to what the world thinks, feels. And in that sense, that person ceases to really truly be a solid disciple. We want to solidify our faith so that we're unified, so that we can multiply making strong disciples hot disciples, disciples that can make solid disciples. Are you with me right there? I want you guys to be great disciple makers. Now, a few principles and things to kind of intro before we really dig into the study, which should take you no more than an hour. Uh, back to John 13, verse 34, it says, love one another. How did Jesus love us? What did he do for us? He died for us. So we know we got to die for Jesus, but the, the real definition of dying for Jesus is the person that's willing to live for Jesus. <laughs> so how do we do that? We show that love by giving side hugs. We show that love by encouraging one another, saying nice things to one another. We show that love when we sing out. Now, of course, we're in quarantine, but there will be a day we'll get out of quarantine, guys. <laughs> and once we get out of quarantine, we'll come together to worship. And one of the ways we show we love one another is that when the song leader begins to sing, you got to begin singing. See, a lot of people think, hey, my fellowship is more important than the worship of God. This conversation with this sister or brother or visitor is more important than the praises of God. Yet you got to understand that in the Bible, when the last trumpet is sounded, <laughs> there is no more doing anything. And in the Old Testament, when the trumpet was sounded, everyone stopped what they were doing and they gathered. See, we got to have the same heart. We got to be solidified, unified, so we can multiply even on these principles of worship at church. So when the song leader starts singing, you start singing out with them. As I go through this study, I expect to hear the word amen. What does the word amen mean? So be it. <laughs> when God says it, so be it. <laughs> we got to say amen. Now, we, we, we got to say amen because we believe what we're teaching and what we're learning. So I, I pray that you guys are getting those amens going right on out there. Now, you got to understand the people in the Bible in the Old Testament. You look at Ezra. Ezra gave a sermon that was hours and hours and hours outside in the rain and people still said amen. OK, so we need to have the heart to really give our heart to to first principles 
That means as I teach, give your heart. But as other people teach studies and you're in studies, you need to give your heart. (laughs) None of our studies are done outside in the rain standing up. (laughs) So we need to be like the people of God in the Bible. The last couple of things is never be lacking in zeal. Never, never do an unzealous Bible study. There's one word for a Bible study with no zeal. It's called sin. So if you lead the Bible study and the brothers are falling asleep, don't get mad at them. You just probably are not zealously leading it. If you are in such sin that you fall asleep, like the first century disciples, when it came time to be spiritual, they fell asleep on Jesus. It's because you don't have zeal. Never do a Bible study without zeal. It's called sin. Because the Bible says very clearly, never be lacking in zeal. Now, before you dig into a Bible study, you need to know the individual. Okay? You need to know the individual. You want to make sure you at least take a few minutes before the study or when you meet them to really find out a little bit about them. Key questions to ask are great. It's great that you're here to study the Bible. But uh, so so uh, did you grow up religious? Did you grow up reading the Bible? Who are you closer to, your mom or your dad? Are you close to both? And knowing that information will help you because oftentimes people connect their relationship with their father or their mother or their lack thereof with their relationship with their father in, in, in heaven. So the individual that has a bad relationship with their father or bad relationship with their mother, oftentimes they can portray that on God Almighty without even knowing it. I was one of those individuals. Praise God, the disciples knew that going in, so they were able to really bespoke the study to meet my needs and give me faith. You got to ask them as uh, we build the church. You got to ask people when when they come to church, you got to ask them to study the Bible. You got to ask them. And then once you ask them to study the Bible, you got to call them to the standard of the Bible and never, ever assume their response. Don't assume, yeah, I know how they're going to respond. Do not do that. Do not put your own mind above the power of the Bible. You have no idea how the Bible is going to impact individuals if you will just call them to obey. Remember, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 says, teach them to obey. You can teach people information and you can teach people obedience. We are not making followers. We're making disciples. We are not making members. We're making disciples. So you've got to not only teach the information, but then you've got to call for obedience. Are you with me right there? Let's dig into the study. Psalms chapter 119. Seeking God. You cannot do a first principles course without having an imaginary person to study the Bible with. So we always started to ask uh, the, the we, we asked the fellowship for an imaginary name of the person that we saw sitting there by the tube station struggling with the problems that are going on, with his little coronavirus mask on, uh, socially distant from everyone, seeing the police uh, telling everybody to stay away. But then there was that radical, bold disciple that had his gloves on and his hand sanitizer and his mask and everything, and he goes over to reach out to that lowly non-Christian right by the tube. He keeps his distance socially, but he doesn't keep his distance emotionally. <laughs> So he shows that and he sees them and he calls out to this this individual that's depressed right there. That's sad. That's that's just overwhelmed with guilt and fear by COVID-19. And and he starts to reach out and the person tells a name. Now, we need a name. Now, is this this person going to be a guy or a girl? Okay, okay, guy or girl. Okay, okay, it's it's a guy. Okay, it's a guy. The world started with a guy. So we're going to go with a guy. Okay, we got he, he blew it, but but we're gonna go with the guy. Now we need a we need a good name for this guy. What are we gonna call him? Okay, we got Barry. We got Sebastian. Uh, uh, we got Holy Roller. Uh, Gospel Gangster. Uh, who, what's his name? We got Bear, Bill. Who? Jerry. Jerry. Is it Jerry? Okay, Jerry. Jerry. Okay. It is Jerry. Now, that scares me, the word Jerry, because I had a 1980s haircut called the Jerry Curl, which is a wicked sin from God. But don't don't worry about it. Stay focused on on first principles. Okay, Jerry is sitting there by the two and we zealously go over and we just pull down our mask. You heard about Jesus and we reach out to Jerry and Jerry's so sad because, yeah, I, I actually funny enough have been thinking about my relationship with God. 
and, and we set up a Bible study with Jerry. And, and, and we set it up and we sat down with Jerry. And before we dug in, we did what all true disciples do. We didn't do what a false disciple does. We did what all true disciples do before they have a Bible study. I said we did what all true disciples do before we have a Bible study. We did what? We prayed. You don't ever want to assume that your knowledge is better than the power of God. And so we pray before the study. We don't think we're so intelligent, articulate that our words have power. We know power comes from the spirit of God. So we turn to God in prayer and and we pray and we get done in Jesus name. And Jerry's fired up and Jerry actually brings his Bible and and, and he he comes in and, and we dig into the study. And all the brothers come and they've got their Bibles. Because see, we're a Bible church, so we don't come with our phones. We come to a Bible study with Bibles. You know, if there's one thing that separates us from every other church out there is when we study the Bible with people, we are not ashamed of the gospel. And if we are, it's because we're not a true disciple. We show up with real Bibles in our hands that we can open and show a difference, a distinction, as it says in the Old Testament, a distinction between all the other teachings, all the other churches, all the other false Christians out there. We show that by coming to the study of the Bible. And so we open up the first scripture and we read the very first scripture, Psalms chapter 119. David, a man after God's own heart, says some things about seeking God. And as we're reading this scripture to Jerry, we read the first Scripture, and I usually like to start the scripture as a leader of the study, because when you set the pace, everyone else will follow. And you read the very first verse. It says, blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with some of their heart. No, that's the book of Oprah. It says, blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with some of their heart. That's the book of Second Opinions. No, he says, blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their hearts, (laughs) all their hearts. And you just say, Jerry, right here, what hits you in the study? He goes, well, well, it says, blessed are they whose ways are blameless. That means God's going to give me something. I'm going to get some things by seeking God. And you say, you know, Jerry, that's exactly what I thought. But the Hebrew word for blessed means to be superlatively happy. And I just got to ask you a question. Are you happy, Jerry? Now, you'll be shocked what people say. And yet you even got to ask yourself right now as a disciple, are you happy? And if you're not, you already know the answer. It's because you're not seeking God with all your heart. And so you say, Jerry, that's what I thought. But the title of this study is Seeking God. And so since the the Hebrew word for blessed means to be superlatively happy. The Bible says the only way to be superlatively happy, and that's a happiness that transcends time, an eternal happiness, a happiness that will not go away with circumstance. See, worldly happiness uh, lasts when when it comes to things that are going your way. But spiritual happiness is eternal. Wow, I can be eternally happy. You can be happy forever. What do you gotta do? Jerry says, all I got to do is seek God. You go, you're absolutely wrong, Jerry. He goes, I'm wrong. He goes, yeah, you're wrong. He goes, no, it says, oh, oh, you got me right there. You guys are tricky. You guys are tricky in this church. It says you got to seek God with all your heart. On a scale of one to 10, Jerry, how would you say you're you're seeking God? Where where would you say you're at? Well, this is the first time I, I... I haven't sought God in a long time. That prayer you saw me having by the tube when Manchester United said they're not going to play for the rest of the year. And when, you know, I lost my job because of coronavirus and everything else, that that was the first prayer I've had all year. I'll probably say a five. Then you respond, you go, you know, Jerry, I was worse. I wasn't even seeking God. At least I didn't think so when someone reached out to me. But I started seeking God. And I turn that zero into a 10. Hey, Jerry, do you want to take that five to a 10? Because absolutely. You go, that's awesome. I knew there was a reason I should have reached out to you. So you got to encourage people when they study, when you study the Bible with them. You got to look for ways to encourage. To encourage means to give the strength 
of God. And oftentimes we can be so zealous to study with people to teach the information of God, to convict people and to make sure that they know we're right. No, we want to we want to encourage people that they should seek God with all their heart. And that's the way to happiness. Turn over to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Jerry is so fired up about this seeking God. He goes, I am so fired up. I'm willing to take it to attend to seek God with all my heart. And I see that the byproduct is happiness. And so you say, that's awesome, Jerry, that you see that. But a lot of people are worried about seeking God. In fact, some people decide they want to get their life together before they seek God. See, when you teach the studies, you've got to connect each study with each, each scripture with each scripture. The sermon's got to flow. The study has got to flow. You can't teach it academically. It's got to flow. Are you with me right here? And so as you make it flow, you, you, you say, you know, a lot of people are so worried. They can even worry about fixing up their life before they seek God. But right here, we find out God's view of worry. And so if we find out God's view of worry, we got to find out how we got to view worry. In Matthew chapter six, Bible says this in verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. The Greek word for worry is merimo. It means to be torn apart. It means to be pulled in different directions. He says, do not be pulled in a different direction. Do not be torn apart. He says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Why are you getting torn apart? <laughs> See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into fire and fire was often used. Grass was often used to burn the houses and to light the oven. So this was a very real analogy for the Jews. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of great faith, small faith, no little faith. So right here, God's view of worry is a faith issue. You're worrying because you don't have faith. And so he says, who have you worried? He says, you have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the disciples run after all these things. Who is it that's worried? Pagans. Pagans. But this study is seeking God. See, Jerry, do you want to be like those who seek God or do you want to be like the world? Because I don't want to be like then you've got to cast all your anxieties on him. You got to let down. You got to just not worry. Now, what's the alternative? Well, he says, your heavenly father knows you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for each day. We'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And a church said, Amen. he says, your heavenly father knows what you want. Right, Jerry? Jerry goes, yeah, God knows what I want. Oh, you know, I want to be dating right now, man. I mean, I've been dating for so long, man. I, I, I read, I want to, I want to, I want to get engaged rather. Uh, I've been dating for so long. I, you know, God knows that that's what that, I want it. God's going to give me what I want. Right. You go, Jerry. Well, let's look at the Bible. What does it say? Does it say God knows what you want or does it say God knows what you need in verse 32? He says, well, it says your heavenly father. Oh, yeah. It says God knows what you need. See, Jerry, God knows what you need may be better and is better than maybe what you want. See, God knows what you need. He also knows what you want. But sometimes he knows your needs are much more important than your wants. In fact, your wants go away when you accept what you need. 
And if you allow God to meet your needs, not your wants, <laughs> worry will go away. And there's only one thing you got to do. He goes, I've seen it already. You go, wow, come on, Jerry. And you look at the brothers around the study and make sure they're not falling asleep looking at Facebook or texting. <laughs> and if you are, you show yourself to be a true disciple. You disciple them on the spot. Guys, give your heart to Jerry. Give your heart. Guys, don't be. And what do you got to think about? That? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. And you're, so everybody's back in the study. And it's just, but see, first, the kingdom of God. Now, this is not a time for you to get into all your spiritual gymnastics and how you know the Bible. You just need to share with Jerry what needs to be first. God says very clearly, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You don't get into the kingdom because you have a whole study on that. And he may ask that. What is the kingdom? Great question, Jerry. Hey, bro, can you write that down? Write down their questions. Do not get involved in a long discourse on a study that goes the whole uh, a different direction because it loses the momentum. It loses the power of the point which is to help Jerry seek God, take the five to a 10 with all his heart. But at the end, you can write that question down. Now, if it's a question in line with the study, you can grace past it, you can address it, but it's gotta be focused in on seeking God right there. And you help him see that don't you worry, God will meet all your needs. He may not give you your wants, but he'll meet all your needs. Turn to Acts chapter 17. You've laid the groundwork for a very zealous study. And so now you can turn it over to a brother or a sister. Amen, sisters. <laughs> and you read Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 26. And this particular disciple, they are fired up at their chance to read zealously. Now, you don't want to read weirdly, but zealously. For one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined a time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so men would get married. No. God did this so that men would what? Seek him, reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Wow. What hit you in this scripture, Jerry? What hit you there? He goes, you know. To be honest, when you guys came up to me, I saw your friends over there that were a little too afraid to come share with you. I saw those guys. But when you came up and you pulled your mask down, I was wondering if you were going to talk to me. And I kind of felt that you were a Christian guy. And everything in me said, please don't come talk to me. But then something else inside of me said, please come talk to me. And I think it wasn't coincidence. You go, Jerry, that's exactly what this scripture teaches. That it is not a coincidence that God sent me to you to reach out to you. So I just got to ask you, Jerry, do you believe the scripture? Do you believe that God sent me into your life to, to help you to seek after God? Now, at that time, that's a very powerful question to ask because there are some people that are so religious, they, they, won't, they will tell you right there, well, no. And if they aren't willing to accept that you're the person that God sent into your life, that has to be addressed. And if it is addressed in a powerful way, inspirational way, often you can get the person to humble out, submit, and then you can keep studying with them. But if they do not want to accept that, they don't have faith that God sent you into their life, then you may not want to, you, you may not want to move on until they're, they're willing to accept that you're the person that God has sent into their life to help them to know God. And it's very clear that God determined for me to meet, reach out to you. God determined this time. And he did it for what reason, Jerry? Jerry goes to seek him. Exactly. Turn over to John chapter four. This one is powerful. John chapter four. Say, Jerry, what's the title of the study? Seeking God. Exactly. How should you seek God? With a 10? Yeah, with a 10. But what's the Bible say, Jerry? With all your heart. That's exactly right. Now check this one out. John chapter four. This one's awesome. Because we've looked at scripture, Jerry, that says God wants us to seek with all of our heart. We looked at David, what David said. You always recap scriptures. David was a man after God's own heart. And he saw God with all of his heart. And right here, we find something very powerful. It says in Acts 7, or John chapter 4, in verse 23, it says, yet a time is coming and it has now come. When the true worshipers, if there's a such thing as true, what's the opposite of that? 
false worshiper. The Holy Spirit adds the word true here. It says, if they're tr- it says, time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father two ways, Jerry. He goes, I'm, I'm following. Spirit and truth. Exactly. <laughs> you want to make sure Jerry is reading the Bible. I've sat in Bible studies with a person that's so preoccupied with them teaching the study, they don't find out whether the person is reading the word of God. And often they're already halfway through the scripture and the person isn't even in the same book. You want to make sure you're, you're, you're making a disciple. You don't want to get through half the scripture and then you go, you, what do you think about that, Jerry? And Jerry goes, oh, I was in Zechariah right there. <laughs> that's really an indictment against you, not Jerry. <laughs> That shows you're not attentive. You're not really making sure that you're teaching obedience, not information. Are you with me right here? Now, as I say that, you'll probably make that mistake. Don't worry. There's a lot of grace in the kingdom. I did it all the wrong way. That's why I got the experience to tell you. And so he says, uh, the true worshipers will worship the father in two ways. What are they? Okay, I'm at the brother's household. And once again, they give another lukewarm uh, admonition right there. So uh, we're going to change. We're going to repent. We're going to repent and do nothing, everything, you know, with, with the deal. So there are two ways, Jerry. Okay. How? Spirit and truth. There we go. In spirit and in truth. And you explain to Jerry, this is not talking about the Holy Spirit, Jerry. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't come in its indwelling sense. Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't given it yet. He goes, really? Can we? Well, oh, just, uh, We'll study that at a later point. The Greek word here is pneuma. It means wind. Every one of us has a certain type of wind, a certain type of spirit (laughs) that we blow on into the fellowship. And just as a team can say, hey, we have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. How about you? God is wanting you to worship him like he is the captain of your number one team. You want to be inspired, excited. Pneuma means to be excited here. That your spirit is excited to worship God. You ever had somebody who wasn't excited to worship God? Those are not the people God's looking for. Those are the people Satan is looking for. And you got to ask yourself today, as you're watching in on Zoom, are you worshiping in spirit? Are you fired up? Or are you are you like, uh, yeah. Well, if that's the case, Satan's already got you. See, God is looking for people that are excited to worship him. Now, sadly, this was not my heart. Not at the beginning. It's the reason why Satan had to beat up on me so much before I really wanted to worship. But then when I wanted to worship, I was like excited to worship God. He also says worship him in spirit. And what else? Truth. Well, we know what truth is. John 17, 17 says the word of God is truth. The Bible teaches that Jesus is all truth. He is not a truth. He is not a part of the truth. He is the absolute truth. He is truth. No different than he is morality. He's not a moral God. No, he is morality. He's the very essence of truth. There is nothing outside of him that is not true. So God is, is this not amazing, Jerry? That in the midst of the coronavirus, everybody else is looking for a vaccine. But God is circling London looking for the one man, the one woman, the one individual that would worship in spirit and truth. And once God sees the person who wants to worship in spirit, meaning excitement and truth, go by the Bible. The Bible says this. They are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. Jerry, who's doing the seeking here? Jerry goes, God. You go, that's right. Jerry goes, wow, God is going after. Yes, he is. It's not just our church, Jerry. We are just a instrument. We are just a vehicle. We are just a tool. See, God knows that you are the kind of person that would worship him in the spirit and in truth. Now, you may not exactly be doing that when he catches you, (laughs) but God, who knows all things, knows that once you once you understand the truth, once you, once you see, he goes after people that he knows will worship in spirit and truth. So yes, we want you to worship in spirit and truth. Yes, you need to want to worship God, but God is going after you. How do you feel about that, Jerry? Jerry just starts crying. He starts crying because he's never had anyone say he mattered. 
And for the very first time, he sees he matters. Once you see Jerry's heart is really in touch with the study, you go, Jerry, this is awesome. This is awesome. Check this out. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Only a couple more. And we'll open it on up here. Acts chapter 17. Jerry's still reeling. Wow, God's going after me. He is going after me. Acts chapter 17. We pick it up in verse 10. It says, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character. The Greek word means open to conviction. So these guys were more open to conviction than the Thessalonians. You know, I got to ask you, are you open to conviction? Are you open to conviction? He says, open to conviction than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And the church said, Amen. Woo. Open to, I pray you're open to conviction today. Jerry, there are three E's in this particular passage. There are three E's. I want you to identify them. And Jerry starts pouring over the scriptures and he sits there for a while and he can't find you. Keep looking. See, sometimes you need to just sit there and make people sit with the word of God. Do not offer up an explanation every time so that people find you, Lord, and not the Bible, Lord. I will sit there and make some person find it in scripture. Where are the three E's? And Jerry finally finds them. Eager, examine, every day. Exactly, Jerry. Jerry, I just got to ask you, are you open to conviction? Do you want to be noble? He goes, I do. I do. There's nothing noble in my life. A lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. I even cursed people that were Christians. I even hated God. I do. I, I am open to conviction. I am. I want to be noble. You said, well, Jerry, you got to be like these guys. He goes, I got to be eager. Yep. I got to examine. Yep. What's the last one? Every day. Exactly. Jerry, how, how could they eagerly examine what Paul, a religious leader, said? How could they do it every day? Maybe, maybe they had daily Bible studies. Exactly. Jerry, I got to ask you, are you willing to study the word every day? You know, God gives you 24 hours. He's just asking for one every day. Are you willing to study every day? Here's where a lot of disciples lose faith. Here's where a lot of disciples are too chicken to call someone to total obedience. Because you believe your mind and your faith dictates the response. And you believe you know how they're going to respond. Now, sometimes we, we do have a gut, gut intuition. And sometimes that gut intuition is right. But you don't know. You, how'd you like to be 99% right and allow that 1% to be your dad? How'd you like that 1% to be your mom? How'd you like that 1% to be your kid? See, because we cannot be 100% right about our own gut, we got to go with God who's always right. So you got to call them to study every day. I'm, I'm so reminded of a, a man by the name of Rob Williamson. And he came to the first principles course, like some of you who are visiting, hopefully that are visiting. And once he realized that the scriptures called for him to study with the leader every single day, he did it. And once he saw me teach this course, and tell the disciples they should be asking people, not dogmatically, but inspirationally, to study on a daily basis. Once he saw, he says, puts his hand up and says, I'd be willing, Pastor. Everyone in the class clapped. Rob got baptized. Then his wife got baptized, and they are sold out disciples to this very day. <laughs> See, you, you got to ask people to study every day. If you're visiting right now and you're watching this, are you willing to let the authority of the word of God, study, be your authority. Are you willing to study the Bible on a day? Give an hour, 30 minutes to study the Bible daily so you can eagerly examine the scriptures to have noble character, to be open to the conviction so that you too can be someone that God finds and does great things. Let's bring it home for the last, with the last couple of scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 29, Matthew 7 and Acts chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 29. You turn over there and Jerry goes, oh, I know this one already. I've read this one before. And you go, okay, okay, Jerry, you're exposing. You're more religious than I thought. 
And he said, okay, Jerry, I want you to read this one. But Jerry, I want you to do something for me here. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, right here, it says, we're going to read verse 11 through 14. But Jerry, I want you to take the word you, Y-O-U, and right where you see the word you, I want you to slow down and insert your name. Insert my name. Yeah, your last name. What's your last name? Right now. Oh, my goodness. Your name is Jerry right now. That's a good, that's a good name, Jerry, right now. So let's, let's, let's look at this text, and I want you to read it with your full name. For I know the plans I have for you, Jerry, right now, <laughs> declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, Jerry, right now, and not to harm you, Jerry, right now. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give Jerry right now hope and a future. Then Jerry, right now, will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to Jerry right now. Jerry right now will seek me and find me. When Jerry right now seeks me, it's all his, Jerry right now's heart. And I'll be found by Jerry right now, declares the Lord. And I'll bring Jerry right now back from Captivity in the church said, Amen. you know, you know, you want to insert someone's name right there. It's really powerful. Oftentimes people will cry. You say, well, who could cry over a verse like this? It's not like you're going to meet a preacher, somebody who's going to lead a region or somebody's going to lead a church or even a world sector leader. Well, this is exactly what happened to me. See, I'd been taught my whole life that if I didn't become a Christian, I was going to go to hell. So I had a very deep conviction on hell. But I had no idea that God had a plan for me. And it gets me emotional now thinking, wow, God had a plan for me. And that plan is not just to send me to hell for being such a bad person. But he has plans to prosper me and not harm me. You know, there's so many people that have had bad things happen to them. And they think it was God's plan to harm them. Because they know God has all power. But they have no idea that God is sovereign. And although he allows bad things to happen, God has plans to prosper us, not to harm us. God wants us to flourish. Jerry, what do you think that God wants you to flourish? Jerry gets silent. He can't even speak. He says, that's really nice. You go, he wants you to prosper. He wants you to flourish. There's only one condition, Jerry. He goes, I know what you're going to say. No, 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 Jerry. No, 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 no. It's not about me. You got to stop people when they say stuff like that. You know what the Bible's going to say. What does the Bible say? I got to seek him. No, it doesn't say that, Jerry. I got to seek him with all my heart. Absolutely. See, Jerry, can you know God's plan for your life if you do not seek him with all your heart? Nope. Jerry, you could live a flawed life with a flawed wife. Flawed dreams, flawed job, flawed purpose, flawed understanding, flawed information your entire life. You can die a flawed death simply because you didn't see God's plan because it wasn't his plan. Jerry, isn't it interesting? A lot of people are living the wrong plan, the wrong dream, the wrong perspective, the wrong information because it's not God's plan. Isn't it interesting that some people are going through Satan's plan, but they think it's God's plan? No, no, no. It's God's universe. He owns everything, but it's up to us to see God with all of our heart so that we could follow God's plan for our life, not our own personal plans. Jerry, you want God's plan? Yep, I do. What you got to do? Seek with all my heart. That's exactly right. You got to seek with all your heart. Now, you think God shows favoritism, Jerry? Jerry goes, I don't, I don't know. It feels like, it. no, look over here. Look at, look at Matthew chapter seven. We're going to close out with Acts chapter eight. I always like to close out with that one. But Matthew chapter seven, as I've linked Matthew seven with Jeremiah, you saw how I did that, guys. Matthew chapter seven says this here. That was written, written by the Jews. Matthew 7 and verse 7 says, ask and it might be given to you. 
Seek and, you know, if you're a person of color, you'll find. Knock and if you're going through things hard enough and bad enough, the door will be opened. For minorities who ask, receive. No. Doesn't say that. Let's read it again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock action. And the door will be opened. For some people who ask, receive? No, everyone. He says everyone in Africa, everyone in England, everyone in Europe, everyone in America, everyone in Australia, everyone in Brazil, everyone in the everyone on any any part of the world, everyone, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, action, not just mental action, the door will be open. So God gives a bunch of what are called absolute statements right here, Jerry. He says, this is guaranteed to happen. You ask God for help, he will show up. You knock, he will open the door. This is just guaranteed there are absolute statements. Jerry goes, yeah, I see that. You said, well, then, Jerry, how come the same writer says this here in verse 13? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to Only if you find it. Wow. In just a couple of verses, it says only a few people find the narrow gate. First of all, you got some things here, Jerry. What do you have? You got, you got two ways. The narrow way, which produces narrow amount of friends, which produces a narrow mind. Or you got the broad way which produces a broad range of friends. You got the wide gate that leads to heaven. I mean, the wide gate and the broad road that leads to destruction, that's hell. Many enter through it. You got the narrow gate, the narrow road that leads to life, eternal life. And only a few find, how come only a few find if earlier he said, everyone? Jerry goes, I got this one. The reason why down here it says only a few find is because only a few are truly seeking after God with all their heart. See, a lot of people are seeking ministry with all their heart, seeking a wife with all their heart, seeking friends with all their heart, seeking church with all their heart, seeking Bible insight with all their heart, seeking knowledge with all their heart, seeking answer to questions with all their heart. But that's not the answer. That's not what the study is. It's not called seeking questions. It's not called seeking a wife. Those are all great things. In fact, because I sought after God, I got a really awesome wife. This study is called Seeking God with All Your Heart. And the reason people do not find God, because they don't seek him with all their heart. That's why. Jerry goes, man, this makes so much sense. I, I mean, I had so many people in my family go, I can't find God. I can't find, where's God? And even, even people in my family said, there is no God. I understand that they weren't seeking with all their heart. And even I wasn't. But I want to seek with all my heart. So what, what do you, what, how do I do that? Do I got to, I'm not, I can't become like you guys. Don't worry about it, Jerry. There's a guy in the Bible who sought God with all of his heart. We're going to read his story. I just want to challenge you to imitate him. That's what I did. That's what you do. Seek, look at his example and imitate him and seek God with all your heart. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. This one I usually close out on, and I read and I hit all the insights that plant seeds of faith in Jerry. You got to understand, as you're building these Bible studies, you're planting seeds of faith and hope in people, and you're making this study bespoke so that people understand God on their, quote unquote, where they are at. God meets everybody where they're at. So you want to make sure to tailor it to the person, right? And so it says here in Acts chapter 8, in verse 26. It's a guy that sought God with all of his heart, Ethiopian eunuch. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. I love the obedience of the disciple. He didn't tell him where to go, just go south. That's how things feel sometimes. They're going south. <laughs> Philip was still faithful when things were going south, <laughs> even though there was no exact destination. He says, go south, <laughs> down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started off. And on his way, 
he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, of course, a eunuch was somebody who was physically circumcised to be around the queen. So he could be absolved of the charge of tampering or having any kind of interaction that was inappropriate with the king. So this guy was already living a very morally pure life. He was a eunuch. So you find that moral purity does not make you right with God. An important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. This guy is like Boris Johnson here. This is Obama. This is, this is a high political position. But there's no greater position than being in the position of submission to God. Queen of the Ethiopians. So this guy was very important. But there's nothing more important than seeking God. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Wow. He was a non-Jew. So he traveled outside of his city all the way to Jerusalem to worship. See, a person who's seeking God, they go where God is. They don't call God to come where they are. See, this guy could have decided, I'll just go over here or go over there. But he knew the only true worship was in Jerusalem. See, a lot of people are bust out believers. They go to the church that's closest to their bus stop. A lot of people are tube stop uh, people. If it's close to my tube stop, I'll go. And they let a tube stop send them to hell. They're willing to go to hell over a tube stop. If the truth is in West London, I'm from East London. You get me blood. <laughs> yeah, I get the blood of Jesus that will not overcome your sins if you don't get on a train and go to the true worship. See, seeking God with all your heart you cannot let distance stop you from the truth. A person who's willing to see God with all their heart, they will never let distance. I'll never, I'll never forget Tommy Wong, who leads our great church in Amsterdam, traveling all the way from Surrey after work, coming all the way to North London to do Bible studies only to get home at 12 o'clock, only to come back again the next day. See, he traveled for his relationship with God because he knew what he was being taught was the truth. And not only does he have an amazing wife who went from atheism to Christianity, he's leading our great church in one of the most wicked cities in the entire world. Why? Because he sought God with all of his heart. He didn't let distance stop him. See, Jerry, you cannot let distance stop you. You can't let distance stop you. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, was sitting in the chair reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Oh my goodness, he's reading a scroll. He didn't have a Bible, Jerry. The only ones who had scrolls back then were priests. He wasn't a priest. And the only way you can get a scroll was to pay for it. Most scrolls were 30 feet long. This guy invested in his own relationship with God, right? And he's reading his Bible after church. Most people don't even read their Bible before church. Jerry, a person who's seeking God, they really want to know God. He's examining the scripture after he heard the message in Jerusalem. Now, he's not Jewish. He probably didn't even get in. He probably just listened at the door, heard the message, and came home reading the Bible. You know, Jerry, I want to challenge you after you end this study to go home reading what we taught you, to go over the notes, to see if what we taught is in accordance with the Word of God. It says, as we finish it on out, the Spirit told Philip, verse 29, go to the chair and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Well, if he heard him reading it, how was he reading? Out loud. You know, a person who's not seeking God with all their heart, Jerry, they're embarrassed at other people hearing their convictions on the word of God. You know, Jerry, one of the things I do is I read the Bible on the, on the train. Every day I open it up and people look at me like I just shined a flashlight in their bedroom at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, I'll never forget one time reading my Bible and in the guy in the Sun magazine reading the page that I didn't know was the bad page when I first came to London. You know, nobody said anything to him. But when I opened my Bible, everyone looked. Jerry, if you're ashamed of the Bible being open and read. Then you're ashamed of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus isn't enough for you. So you can't be ashamed. This guy wasn't ashamed. He's reading out loud. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Now, you got to understand, Philip is from, quote unquote, a lower socioeconomic part of the world. So Philip could have been insecure with this rich guy. This rich guy could have been 
too secure with this poor guy. A person who's seeking God, they're looking for someone who's right with God, not someone who's right with God that's their race, their color, their socioeconomic status, or in their same postcode. There are no postcode wars in the heart of someone seeking God with all their heart. This guy didn't go, well, he's not from my part of the world. I'm an, I'm an executive. Mm, I'm from Chelsea. He's from Hackney. Mm -hmm, can't do it. No. In fact, he was submitted to Philip. And the Bible says he asked questions. A person who's seeking God asks biblical questions. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. A person who's seeking God asked to study the Bible. He invited Philip. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants for his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip went on to Google because he didn't know his Bible. And then he called his disciple, and then he called Michael the preacher. And then he had to get everybody else in there. And then he said, well, hold on. No. No. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, Philip answered Bible questions with the Bible. See, a person who's seeking God wants Bible questions answered with the Bible. A person who's seeking God is impressed when a disciple can respond to the very random scripture they pick out and explain it to them accurately. And also we as disciples are challenged by that. Because we know if someone asks us about a scripture, we better be prepared to answer. And so it challenges us to know our Bibles, but we see Philip knew his Bible, or at least his Old Testament, because he began with that very passage of scripture. And he told him the good news about who? So, so, so Philip proved Jesus from the New Testament, from the Old Testament. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be what? Baptized. He asked, it says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Wow. Jerry, does he wait to get back to Egypt? Or Ethiopia, rather? No, he doesn't. Does he wait till his family's around? No, he doesn't. Does he wait to call his wife and kids and make sure that they can have the selfies and the photos out there and everything? No. Jerry, a person who's seeking God understands that urgency determines the emergency. He said, stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way bitter as gall because the person who converted him doesn't spend all day with him anymore. No, this eunuch got converted to Jesus, not to Philip. Doesn't mean we don't stay connected to the person who studied with us. But you, when you make disciples, you got to connect people more to Jesus than yourself. More to Jesus than yourself. And this, I mean, this has been what's happened in the church. When I think of people who are so connected to Jesus, I think about a young man by the name of Abishak. He's changed the church with his love and his little sign of love right there. And yet his whole family is in New Delhi. His college, his university career has been put on hold, but he's connected to Jesus. I think about Sulo. A young man who wants to be in a full-time ministry. He's connected to Jesus. I think about all the women that have studied, Daniela, and just all the incredible converts. I think about our sister Taff, an amazing sister who didn't let distance stop her. Jerry, she drove all the way from Wales every week on Friday and on Sunday just to see God with all of her heart. And people became Christians because of her faith. Jerry, I got to ask you. Does this guy not have a good example? Oh, yeah. Are you willing to not let distance, not let any challenges stand in your way? Be urgent about your relationship with God. Are you willing to take the five to a ten? Are you willing to seek with all your heart? Jerry goes, I am. You go, great. I got tomorrow at nine and tomorrow at 10 to study. Which one can work? Jerry goes, well, you notice how I did that? You got to use the assumptive clothes for studies. Never ask, when are you free? They'll tell you two weeks from now. 
all that work will be dismantled by one question that you asked the wrong way. You have to tell them when you're available. Tell them when the next study is and then have them give you an alternative time. You have to assume the close. Jerry, I can meet with you tomorrow at nine. I can meet with you at 10. Which one can you do? I can't do 10, but I can. Can you guys do 11? Let me check, Jerry. I think I can do 11. <laughs> I think I can do 11. And so you set the study for 11. You close in a prayer. The brother who took the notes, very copious notes, who's learning the scriptures because he's taking notes, gives them to Jerry. Jerry comes back the next day for the word of God. That is the Seeking God study, the first class of first principles. God bless you.